Absolutely. We're blessed. Yes. We are blessed. I've been fortunate throughout my Christian life. I've grown up in, in the church, and I've had awesome pastors all along, and, uh, and we're so fortunate here at Living Water to have the pastor we have. Never had a pastor as gifted as this man is, as far as uh, just the, the ability to connect to human beings, man. Just connect, because he comes out, he's so real, so uh, authentic is one of our words that we use here a lot. And one thing about Pastor Jeff and Kim is they're, they're just so authentic. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2. We were so happy that you're here with us today to celebrate Pastor Appreciation Day. Now I wanted to just kind of lay this out. We are not going to have Pastor Jeff and, and Miss Kim come forward today. And uh, I did that last year and he hasn't spoken to me a word uh, since then. And I don't know, I, somebody's letting the air out on my tires. So I'm not going to do that again. So, no, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's a bit awkward. So we're going to give them a break today and just let them sit back and just let them enjoy the service. And uh, you'll have opportunity, uh, we're going to eat downstairs. And I will tell you this, I'll just ask, you know, give them a little bit of time to eat and that they can enjoy their dinner. And then by all means, if you want to give them a word of encouragement, uh, talk to them, they're, 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 they're available for that. Uh, hopefully throughout the month you've had an opportunity to bless them in other ways. Uh, one way we can always bless them is just hold them up in prayer. There, 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 there is just a heavy burden whenever you, you lead people. And, and there's a lot of decisions and there's a lot of things that have to be done. And you always, you know, you, you try to walk this balance because you know every decision that you make, you're open to criticism. Some people's going to be happy, some's not. And that's just the part of the game. And sometimes that, that, that's a heavy burden to, to, to carry sometimes. And sometimes God gives you a word of correction to give. And those are laborious and those are painful. Because before he deals with it here, he deals with it back there. And that is just a painful place to be. Because God deals with those things to, with, to you individually first. And then you share it with the congregation. So if you're in the book of Exodus chapter 2 i got a couple verses I want, I want to share with you. I found these in, in, the, in the book of Psalms. Psalms 119, verse 67, and this should be in your worship guide. It says this. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Let me read it again. Notice what the psalmist is saying. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Then further on down in verse 71, it says this. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I don't know how some of you guys think, but whenever I sit back in the congregation, I hear somebody speak, I just, and they open, I wonder, how's he going to unravel this? How's he going to unpack that? I'm up here today wondering, how am I going to unravel this? How am I going to unpack that? I have a million thoughts rolling in my head, so I, I ask for your prayer. But it, experiencing, experiencing failures, it prompts us to have an obedient life. If you walk with the Lord any, any amount of time, there's going to be times when you're going to mess up. And you're going to go against the will of God. That's what the psalmist is writing. And he looks back on it. He's looking in hindsight. He says, you know, those times in my life where I was not in obedience and God corrected me, 
I am now thankful for that. It, it, it serves, you know what the, the law in the Old Testament does? It serves us, it, it points us to a way that we realize we can't live up to it. So it leads us toward this grace and this mercy that Jesus Christ provided for us. That we can come in communion with it because we cannot live up to the law. The psalmist comes to this point and he says, it was good for me to be afflicted. You ever felt like it was good to be afflicted? I, I've had... <laughs> Help me, church. Help me, church. There's been times in my life where, listen, correction is never fun. It's never easy. Man, I, I had a dad that was old school. Man, he'd take, he'd take a belt off on you in a heartbeat. And I never appreciated those <laughs> at the time. Looking back on it, I realized it was for my own good. And now I'm thankful that I had a dad that cared enough for me that he corrected me when he'd see me going astray. I look at my Heavenly Father sometimes, and God, some, getting taken out behind the, the spiritual woodshed is never fun. But there's times whenever I, I think, God, thank you for correcting me. Amen. Bring me back into alignment. In the book of Exodus, we find a leader. And I, 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 look, I, I wanted to talk about leadership today. And there's a number of leaders that we could have picked out of the Scripture. But this guy just kind of jumped out to me. And it's our friend Moses. We all know the story of Moses. In, uh, in Acts chapter 7, the, the Bible tells us, gives us a brief synopsis of Moses' life. And it basically comes into three chapters. Moses' first chapter is, for 40 years he, grow, he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. He's a prince. Then the next 40 years, he's in the desert. And then the final 40 years of his life, he's leading the children of Israel out. So he spends 40 years in the desert herding sheep. That's a great place to learn to be a pastor, is herding sheep for 40 years. It prepares him to lead people. So in Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 11, let's read this. Your Bible says that one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that way. I love that line. And seeing no one. Let me just pause for a second here. In your life, if you have to look around this way and that way to see that nobody's looking... You might as well just leave that part alone. That is telling you right then and there. If you're afraid, leave it. Don't go there. I love that line there. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. It, it, he, he hid it in the sand, but it come uncovered. I'll tell you that right now. There's another uh, point. The things that you hide, somehow they, it gets uncovered over time. Amen. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went on to live in Midian. 
where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill their troughs of water for their, their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and he came to their rescue, and he watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, other translations uh, name him as Jethro. That's Moses' father-in-law, soon to be. When the, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us, and he watered the flock. Where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah, I guess would be the proper pronunciation. Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and cried to their help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groanings and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So, 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 so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned with them. I have just a few points I want to share with you today. And then we'll partake in some food downstairs. I can already tell that some of your epic muffins have wore off. And uh, I, don't, I don't plan on being long at all. Just some very simple thoughts. The first thought, as we look at this spiritual leader that we call Moses, and how he led his people, and how he came into that part, is that, first part, spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Moses felt a call on his life as a young man, I believe. I think that he knew that he was going to be the deliverer of his people. So what did he do? He tried to make that happen. We're talking about leadership here, and I'm talking in, in spiritual, put, put your spiritual ears on today and understand this. He felt a call on his life to deliver the, his people out of bondage. So he's seen an opportunity and within him this, uh, this rage rose up and he slayed an, an Egyptian. I've known people that have a call of God on their life and they look around, they see the injustice that's taken place and they're, they're anxious to do something but they jump out ahead of God and they try to, to, to perform a, a spiritual fact, a spiritual thing but they use carnality to do that. And it's just not there. It doesn't work for them. That's what happened with Moses. I believe that Moses knew that he was going to be a deliverer of his people. He seen the injustice taking place and it just boiled up inside of him. And he thought, I can't let this go. So I'm going to be the deliverer. I'm going to step out and begin to perform something that God has called him to do. But it wasn't his time. It wasn't his place to do it just yet. It didn't work for him. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine all the, the people that had a call of God on their life. They felt it, but they never did. They, they wasn't sat under the right training. They didn't wait for the right timing, and they jumped out on their own. And, and their, their, their intentions were well, but it was not received, and somehow they got away from it, and it didn't work for them. So they just pack it up, and they go to a place called Midian. Midian 
the name Midian actually means judgment. He went to a place of judgment. I, I noticed this. God did not send him to Midian. Moses fled to Midian. He went to a place of judgment. I think all of us here can probably look back over times in our life where we did something and our intentions were well, but it was just not the right time, it was not the right place, it wasn't the right moment. We tried to do something in the flesh that only the Spirit of God can do. I can think of, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll openly admit there were times when I stood in my workplace and I argued with, with other people about my, my belief system, biblical facts and stuff, and don't do that. Just don't do that. Because what happens is, is non-believers sit in a room and they listen to this. They listen to two believers and then, you know, arguing some point or something stupid. And, and they think like, well, that's Christianity. I don't want no part of that. They can't even get along. You know, and you know, I, I've made some, I made some huge mistakes in my life. And I look back at those times and I'm just ashamed of some of those things. You know, my intentions were good. My, the, the zeal, the passion was there. But it was just the wrong place. In other words, there was no godly wisdom used in those Let's keep that in mind. Spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. You cannot flow, uh, sow fleshly seed and reap a spiritual harvest. I made this note. You will never see the power of God in our lives until we obey the Word of God in our lives. When God tells Moses to go and do this stuff, finally Moses relents and he says, you know what? I'll go, but you're going with me. I'm not doing this alone, God. I know that we've had, uh, you know, we've had things take place in, in our lives. And there's been times where I've just been quite frank with God. It's like, God, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to go ahead of me. You're going to have to prepare that. You're going to have to season that, Lord. Because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have no desire to go there by myself. I have no desire to do that, Lord, unless you're with me. And that's how Moses felt humongous task ahead of him. Go to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses is like, I don't think so. <laughs> but if finally he relents. He says, okay, I'll go, but you, you must go before me. You're going with me. If you ain't with me, I'm not in this. I'm out. The second point that I want to share with you and I've only got just a handful of points, so this is going to be short. Timing is, a, is as important as the action. Amen. Yes. See, when God's in it, it flows. When flesh is in it, it's forced. I, I'm reminded of a story in 2 Samuel's. The pastor preached on this some time back. We, we had a, a guy by the name of Ahimaaz. Does anybody remember Ahimaaz? Remember that sermon? Here's what happened. There's a battle that takes place. And there's a general by the name of Joab. And in the battle that takes place, David is king. Joab is his general. He, has, he actually is fighting King David's son. David's son is slayed in battle. And Joab wants to send word to him that his son Absalom is dead. And so Joab picks a fellow out to, to carry the word back to the king to tell him that 
Absalom, your son, has been killed. There's a young man named Ahimaaz. Now, Ahimaaz is a runner. He loves to run. He's built to run. It's his passion to run. And how do I know that? Because later on in the story, a fellow's looking out over the wall and he sees a runner coming. He says, I see a runner coming and he runs like Ahimaaz. So Ahimaaz is known throughout the kingdom as, as a carrier of the word. He's a runner. And so that tells me that he is well known. That the man on the wall can look and it runs like Ahimaaz. Ahimaaz has got the passion. He's got the heart. He's got the ability. He's got the courage. He's got, you know, the endurance. He's, he wants to run. The problem is, he doesn't have the word. And secondly, he doesn't know the king's heart. This other man's got the word and he knows the king's heart. Ahimaaz runs. But he gets to the king David. And David's one to hear what's going on on the battlefield. How's my son? That's, that's his heart. How, you know, what's going on? Ahimaaz gets there. He doesn't have the word. David says, stand aside. Then the other runner comes. He's got the word. We are so anxious sometimes to run. It's a, it's a passion within us. It's our desire. We, want, we got a call of God on our life. We, we got this vision of, of some type of ministry or something we want to do for God. And we jump out ahead of God and we begin to run with it, but we don't have the Word. It's not there yet. I think Tom Petty got it right when he says waiting is the hardest part. Sometimes you just have to wait. Moses finds himself sitting for 40 years on the backside of a desert. 40 years. By the time that he is, finally gets the word to, to go, he's 80 years old. Think about it. 80 years old. I mean, at this point, he's figuring my life is done. I'm of no use to anybody. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm going to tend these sheep. I'm going to raise my family. And when my time comes, they're going to dig a hole in the sand. They'll put me in it, and I'm done. After 40 years of in the desert, he spent 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, raised as a prince, 40 years in the desert, finally God shows up and says, Moses, I haven't forgot about you, son. I've had you on the back burner. I've had you out in the desert. You've been learning some lessons. I think now you're ready. You're seasoned. We have to wait. Ahimaaz needed to wait until he got the word. And when he got the word, then he would have been released to run. Finally, Joab, he, he, he bothered Joab so much, Joab said, if you want to run, run. Sometimes I think God says that. You know, listen, if you don't want to wait on me, you don't want to wait for an anointing to come upon you, you don't want to wait for that time, if you want to run, run. See how that works out for you. He runs and he doesn't have the word. Timing is as important as action. Another point I'd like to share with you Hiding wrong doesn't erase wrong. Remember, he killed somebody, hid it in the sand. It only postpones its discovery. Amen. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the cool of the day, God would come down and He would walk with man. What a time that must have been. What a time of communion, just walking through this paradise that we know is the Garden of Eden. And just being with your Creator. 
and just talking with God, communion with God, and God's explaining things to you. And, but then they sin. What do they do? They hide. Like God can't find them. Like God can't see them. It goes all the way back to there. We hide wrong. And we think nobody's going to find it. We think nobody's going to discover it. it. It all, the sand eventually erodes. The wind blows the sand away. And that which you hid becomes uncovered. I've, I've thought about this. I was raised traditional old school Pentecostal. And sometimes on Sunday evenings, we would just have a testimonial service. And people would just stand up and just share their testimony of great things that God did in their life. And it was, it's, it's encouraging and, you know, it's uplifting. And, uh, man, I loved it. I loved hearing some people's testimony. You know, there was always that one person, though, that would always stand up and go on for 20, 25 minutes and start with their second grade school teacher and take you through their life and just suck the life out of that room. There's always that one, and you knew who it was, man. And as soon as they stood up, you're like, really, seriously, don't be that one. Don't be that one. (laughs) You can write that down, underline it, highlight it. But, you know, I've wondered sometimes about those services, you know, where we have a testimonial service, and we we can't do this because I'm, I'm... I'm a realist. I understand this. But I thought, what, what a powerful service it would be if people would just stand up and just confess. Just confess the things that they're struggling with in their lives. Now, I know we can't do that because, you know, let's get real. People are going to gossip. People are going to pass judgment on you. People are going to do that. But what, what a powerful service it would be if we had lived in a community and did church and did life with people that we really trusted that took our best interests at heart and didn't just spill all our junk out on the streets and, and like, like, a, like an alley cat pulls all the garbage out of the can. If we had people that wasn't like that and we could just stand up and say, man, I, I struggle with this in my life or I struggle with that in my life and I want to just make a, a confession to you. Wouldn't that be just a powerful community of a church that you would have? Wouldn't that be just a powerful service, I think? I, 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 my prayer is someday we could get to wherever we could do that, but I understand. Another point. Spiritual leadership is God-appointed, not self-assumed. It's the difference between natural and supernatural. So a lot of times in the church we make mistakes. We think because somebody is gifted in a certain area that that will work in the church. Sometimes it does, but many times it doesn't. Just because somebody is a good businessman and can run a business out here, they try to incorporate that into the body of Christ and finds out it doesn't work that way. You know, or, or they have other gifts. And they try, we try to incorporate those into the church. And we find out that it just doesn't work. Because it has to be God-appointed. Not self-assumed, you know, and... There's, there's other times when guys are, there are just, I mean, let's be real, man, there are just tremendous speakers, great motivational speakers. And so they think since they're a great motivational speaker, they'll be a great pastor, but they don't have the heart of a pastor. You know, they, they got speaking ability, but they don't have the heart of a pastor. I know great evangelists. I know some evangelists that can absolutely tear the house down. Man, they can take this platform and, and they can just preach the Word of God and handle it. And just 
dynamite, but they're not good pastors. They've tried their hands at pastoring. And so they, after, after about a year, they're like, I'm out. I'm going back on the road. You know, I, I, got, my, I got my top ten list, and I'll go around and I'll preach to those. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Pastor? And man, and they nail it. Because that's their calling. That's their gifting. That's their anointing. They're evangelists. And they can go from house to house to house, and they can speak a word in season to the house. But they don't have the heart for pastoring. It's, it's amazing to me. Like I said, I grew up in church. And every time you have one of these fantastic evangelists come rolling through, people start remembering, boy, he'd be a good pastor. I wish we could get him to pastor our church here. And I'm thinking like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you think you do, but you don't. So, anyway. Some of you, you, you feel where I'm coming from. Something else that we learn from being in the desert is that it develops a servant's heart. There's nothing like herding sheep for 40 years to prepare you to lead people. I, 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 I've done some study on shepherding over the years. And there's a few techniques that, that shepherds use to, to deal with lambs that like to wander. See, wandering lambs are a problem. Because when they get away from the flock, all of a sudden predators can get them. The lions can get them. The wolves can get them. They get themselves into trouble. So if, you, if you're a shepherd and you're trying to take care of your sheep and that lamb begins to wander and gets out there, he's got to leave the 99 and get the 100. Right? He's got to go after him. There's a couple of techniques that shepherds used to deal with that lamb. One thing that they would do, they would actually break one of its legs. Now think about this. I told you, put your spiritual ears on. You've got a lamb that wants to wander. He wants to stray. He wants to get out on his own and do his own thing. Sometimes that shepherd has to break its leg. He can't wander with a broken leg. But what happens is the shepherd now has to carry that lamb. Whenever he's moving from one pasture to another pasture, he has to pick that lamb up and carry it. That one famous picture that you see of Jesus carrying the lamb. You know, he's got it around his neck and he's carrying the lamb. That's, what, that's dealing with a lamb that likes to wander. He wants to get out on his own. Breaks his leg, which is painful. But out of that pain, he builds a connection with that lamb. He has to take care of it. He has to nurture it. He has to restore its health. And so in doing so, he has to carry that lamb everywhere he goes. So what happens is, is over time, that lamb begins to bond with that shepherd. He begins to know the shepherd's voice. He, begins to, he knows his scent. He knows his smell. And he, there, is, there is a closeness that comes out of that pain. That's what I read to you in the book of Psalms 119 when he says, I was glad that I was afflicted. In other words, I was doing my own little thing. God kind of had to break me. But when He broke me, He didn't just leave me out in the pasture field. He brought me in. To, he began to carry me. And I began to spend time with Him. And now I know His heart. I know His voice. I know, I know, I, I, you know I've gained that sensitivity and that insight of how He feels about certain things. It was good that I was afflicted. Something else that a shepherd does with a lamb that wants to wander he would take a piece of fruit and he would hold it behind his back and when he walked, the sheep that stayed the closest 
got to, be, got to eat the fruit. When he went someplace, he would take a piece of fruit, he'd hold it behind his back, and we walked. That lamb would know that when you stayed the closest to him, you got the choicest fruit. See, there's a spiritual application there. When we walk close to God, we get the spiritual fruit of that. It was good that I was afflicted. He brought me in. He gave me the choicest fruit. And now I stay with Him. My final point that I would like to share with you, it makes you willing to be obscure. Talking about leadership, we're talking about lessons learned from the desert. Moses got to a point where he was okay with being in the desert. He was alright with that. I debated whether or not I want to share something with you, and uh, I think I will. I'm, this is my last point. I'll be closing after, after we're through with this. But growing up in church, I, I got the chance to just watch people. And I love watching people. People crack me up. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I watched certain people and how the, I, I knew that they were going through things in their life drastic things, life-changing things, and how they dealt with them. And it's not always the people up front. It's not always the, the people that, you, that I would thought would handle things the best didn't. Let me, I want to give you an example, and hopefully I can make this make sense. Growing up in church, there were two different ladies, roughly about their same age. I would say that they were, if I had to guess, I'd say late 70s, early 80s. Elderly women. One of them, her name was Sister Prophet. She would sit about right up in the front up here. She carried the big family Bible. She was old school Pentecostal preacher woman. She wore the, the Pentecostal, you know, the, 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 the jean dress all the way down and the hair in the bun. And I mean, she was classic Pentecostal woman. Loved her to death. She was a great encouragement to me. She had an exhorter's license and she would preach. She would sing occasionally and she would preach. And when she preached, she preached. She danced the whole platform. And man, she preached her heart out. And she would sit in that front row up there and she had the big family Bible and it was ragged, man. And she would be highlighting and making notes. And man, she'd clap her hands and she would just encourage you and just shout the house down. And she was just a power-packed woman. And uh, she had a nursing home ministry. She would go to nursing homes and preach. And she would ask me to come along. And when I, I, I was just starting, I feel like I'm still just starting, but I'd take my guitar, you know, and I'd play a couple songs to people in a nursing home and, and, and get an opportunity to speak and share something. And she was just a great encouragement to me, and I, I appreciate her so much. But she was just this little power-packed woman. She was up front, she was out loud, and she was there. There was another lady in our church. Her name was Laura. And this lady was just an angel. She was so quiet, so meek. She, she would come in, and she always had this glow about her, and this smile on her face, and she was just so quiet, and she would sit over on this side, in the back. And she was just so faithful, and so pleasant, and so sweet. And uh, she'd drive that little bu blue Buick. I can see it coming into the parking lot, even as I speak. And... Uh, about the same time, both of these women became widows. They, they lost their husbands. Roughly at right the same time. 
Now, if you would ask me, if, if someone would have come up to me and asked me the hypothetical question, if, if these two women lost their husbands, which one do you think would react negatively? and Which one would, would just go on without a beat? I would have thought this little fireball of a preacher woman who could handle the Word of God would shout the house down. I would figure that she would be the one that could handle it without a qualm, man. She'd be right there and ready to go and praising God. And I thought if someone would handle it negatively, it would probably be Laura. If I had to guess, just the opposite took place. I'm telling you, these, these two women lost her husbands at roughly the same time. I didn't see Sister Prophet for months. I mean, she went into a, a state of depression. I know there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that, and I'm not judging because I haven't been there. I, I would like to think I wouldn't handle that way, but we don't know, right? And so I, I, I want to give her that. But that little Laura, that little sweet lady, I'm telling you, man, she came faithfully. Every, every time the house door was open, she was there Wednesday night, Sunday night, that beautiful smile on her face, that meekness, she was faithful to the, to the end. They're, they have both gone on to be with her Lord. See, faithfulness is a big deal to me. Faithfulness is a big deal to me. I want to be found faithful. When my time is done and I stand before the King of all kings, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be... I want to be faithful to my family, faithful to my wife, faithful to the house of God, faithful to spiritual leadership that's above me, and faithful in my tithes and giving. I want to be found faithful. It's a big deal to me. And that woman was faithful. She was obscure as far as to the, to the church body. Nobody really, I mean, everybody locally in the church knew her and loved her, but nobody outside the church. She had no name for herself. She wasn't going out and doing all these things and, and the stuff that Sister Prophet was doing, but man, she made such an impression on my life. And such a dear, sweet lady. It's how we handle things. And she was obscure. When you pulled in off the driveway today and you pulled into the lot, there's a number of things that take place that's obscure. Nobody really sees it. Nobody knows it. But man, somebody was out there cutting the grass and doing the hedges. When you came up Somebody put those beautiful flowers out on the front. Man, it's obscure stuff. Nobody sees it. Nobody makes a big deal out of it. They're just there. When you walk into the building and you smell the coffee, somebody was here early this morning brewing coffee. Somebody furnished the cups. Somebody furnished the water that you drink. Somebody is it cleaned this house. Look at, I mean, look at this place. It's clean. It's, and every, every week, it just doesn't take place. Every week, there's people here doing these things. And we don't make a big deal out of them. We don't flash their names up. We don't. It's obscure stuff. Running sound. Running these overheads. Doing all this stuff. Teaching downstairs. Taking care of babies. All this stuff is getting done. It's obscure stuff. We don't make a big deal out of it. We don't, you know, and, and we should, but I don't, we'd miss somebody. And somebody would get their feelings hurt. We don't want to do that. I'm, <laughs> it is, it's very true. But, it, but it, that's a servant's heart. It's a servant's heart. We do stuff. We don't get recognition for it. But that's okay because I believe this. I believe every time somebody comes up and they kneel before God and they give their heart and surrender their life to Jesus Christ, you're part of that. You're part of that. What you did 
The service that you did is being counted in heaven. There, there's a great account in heaven. And He's marking down those things. And nobody else sees it. Nobody else knows it. Your name will never be on a billboard. But God takes count of that stuff. And you'll hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Will you stand with me? We're going to bring this to a close. And we're going to allow you to go downstairs and have a bite to eat. I don't know where this word finds you today. Probably not in the ten top ten list of sermons you've ever heard. <laughs> if it is, I feel for you. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's so easy to get sidetracked. And maybe you're in a place of Midian. Maybe you're in a place of judgment today. I don't know. Maybe you just feel like God's timing has just passed you by. And somehow the, 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 the days that you've missed your time. But I'm telling you, God is a redeemer of time. God owns time. Time is nothing to God. He lives outside the boundary of time. And God can restore. God can restore that. So I'm just going to pray over this and then I'm going to dismiss you. But... Why don't you make a, a prayer yourself? Why don't you say, God, wherever I'm at, where you find me at in this, will you just, just, just know, Lord, I am ready to be your servant? And if that means sitting on the back burner and cooking for a few more hours, that's fine because that makes the stew even better. And when my time comes, Lord, I want to be ready, willing, and able to step into that. But Lord, I ain't willing to go if you're not going to be there. Father, all throughout this house, Lives stand before You, Lord, and You know where each and every one is. The things that we hide from one another, we don't hide from You, Lord. Your eyes are all seeing. But Your eyes, Lord, don't come with judgment. They come with mercy at this point. Lord, we just depend upon Your mercy. We cast ourselves upon Your mercy, Lord. That You would just that You would just lead us and direct us, God, that You would just soften our hearts, Lord, and open our ears and open our hearts to Your, to, to your leading, to Your direction, God. Have Your way in this place, I pray, Lord. God, I pray over my brothers and sisters, God, that You would just use them in mighty, powerful ways, Lord. There is giftings and there's callings and there's anointings in this house, God, that have not yet been able to walk into those things. Lord, I pray, God, that You begin to let them visualize themselves working and flowing in those callings, God. I pray, Lord, that there would just be a covering over Your people. Lord, that You would just protect them and that You would begin to pour into them those things that You want to see them do. Some of them have placed themselves in a place of Midian, a place of judgment. And Lord, I pray that You would just comfort those and speak to them and let them know that You haven't lost them. You know right where they're at. Call them out of the wilderness, I pray, Lord. And Father, we just give You thanks for our pastor and for the leaders of this church and this body, Lord. I know the decisions they make, they don't take easy, Lord. I know, Father, there comes a great responsibility with that. I pray, God, that You would just give them a covering and give them a peace about those things. Give them direction. Grant them wisdom, grace, Lord. Father, those that, that labored over this meal today, I pray, Lord, that You would just give them an extra blessing. And Father, I ask that as we partake in this food, Lord, that Your hand would be upon them. We give You thanks and we give You honor for we ask it all in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Amen. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and... Uh,